You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I'm real excited about our um, text this evening and about the four messages which I'll be preaching out of this text. Actually, they're part of a larger Bible study through the book of Colossians. But Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, tell us how to win over sin. How to win over sin. In just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to stand, and uh, we'll be reading this passage of Scripture, these 14 verses. And uh, actually, I'm going to be speaking about um, four things this evening, but, but really, the strategy for victory involves four very definitive steps that you need to take. The Apostle Paul is calling upon you to be a warrior, to take action against sin. And in this passage of Scripture, although I'll not deal with every one of them this evening, you will see four elements to consider. You will see five enemies to crucify. You will see six errors to cast off and seven excellent virtues in which to clothe yourself. All of those are in these 14 verses, 1 through 14. Now, tonight we're going to be looking at the four elements to consider. Sunday morning, Lord willing, we'll be looking at the five enemies to crucify. Sunday night, the six errors to cast off. And then next Wednesday evening, the seven excellent virtues in which to clothe yourself. Now, take just a moment to think with me about the importance of this issue. This is the practical section of Colossians, the importance of this issue. What is it? Well, when... Christ died on the cross, he paid the penalty for your sin and for mine, all right? So in reality, sin should have no power over you. It has no dominion over you. It has no legal right to exercise authority in your life. Christ redeemed you. Christ uh, bought you and me off of the slave block of sin. He redeemed us like a, uh, someone would come along and pay the price, they'd be auctioning a slave. What a horrible thing to even consider. But in the days of Rome, they would bring these people from these captured countries, they'd put them on an auction block, and they would auction them off, and then that slave would have to be servant of that master. Well, Christ came, and he paid the price. He set you free. He, he paid the price and set you free so that you could, if you would, serve him, which is the difference between Christ buying, uh, paying the price and someone else paying the price. Now, I couldn't pay the price of your sin because I'm a sinner. I'm on the auction block. You couldn't pay for me. You're on the auction block. You're sold under sin. You've already been bought. And so Jesus comes along. He pays the wages of sin, which is death. Now, the penalty has been paid for which means legally sin has no dominion, no rightful power over you. Why then do we continue to practice sin? Why do we continue to practice sin? Why are there people in this auditorium tonight, people with whom uh, I'm visiting right now, preaching to you right now, and you're listening, the Lord willing, right now, why are the people here 
who know that the penalty has been paid for. They identify with Jesus' death on the cross in paying the penalty. They identify with his resurrected life. They say, I'm going to heaven. I have eternal life. But you still practice sin. Why do we do that? When I was in the third grade, we moved from the little town of Fordyce, Arkansas, down on the Cotton Belt Railroad, south central Arkansas, to the big city, Kansas City, Missouri. My parents promptly enrolled me in the neighborhood school, Gladstone Grade School. For I, and I was in for a ride. I'd never been to big city. I didn't know big city way, little small town boy. And so here I was introduced in this school. There was a, uh, another student in that school by the name of George Hall. If you know where he is, I'd like to know where he lives this day. George Hall was bigger than all the rest. I don't know, something happened. They fed him more Wheaties than anybody else. Um, maybe his daddy was, a, you know, a giant. I don't know, but George was just a big old guy. George had lost a tooth, I think, in a fight someplace along. We had a gold tooth. That's back when they didn't try to make him white. He just had a gold tooth right here in the front. And I guess he felt insecure about that because George took it upon himself to, to, in, in, to initiate me into Mrs. Richardson's third grade, and the initiation was that he would beat me up every day after school. And he would do that. I, I, you know, it was a really interesting thing. George, he was just so much bigger. He was twice as big as I was. And it didn't make any difference what door I went out. There was George. And George had put my head in an arm lock, and uh, he would just walk me for about a block and just punch me while he walked me. I mean, I'd go home. I just hated it. You know, here I was, fresh out of this little small town, trying to, you know, get acclimated to what was going on. I knew when I got to school, George Hall was going to be there, going to put his arm around me. So at home, I would practice it. Okay, I'm going to hit him in the... You know, I never got a chance to do that. I'm going to reach up there and hit him. I couldn't reach him. I mean, everything I practiced in front of the mirror at home didn't work. I'd try kicking him, you know, and... and uh, I did, the one thing I didn't want to do is tell on him because I knew if I told on him, I'd have more than George Hall to deal with. He just beat me up. By the way, I want you to know after three weeks, I gained the victory. You want to know the secret? I mean, this is amazing. This is amazing. You know how I finally won the victory over George Hall? He moved away. <laughs> That's what happened. That's the greatest day of my life in Kansas City when George Hall got out of Dodge. Man, I tell you, I was so happy about that. He's just a bully. Now, <clears throat> let me tell you something. With all the grit that I could muster, I tried to beat him up. But every day he'd meet me and beat me. I mean, with all my plans, I'd try to conquer. But every day he'd meet me and he'd beat me. If I'm not uh, missing the mark tonight, I believe in the life of almost every person here, there is a sort of a George Hall sin. Now, George, if you're alive, God bless you. Call me. Send me your address, and I'll send the hit squad out for you. <laughs> but I believe in most people's life there's a George Hall sin, at least one. It's a bully. It doesn't make a difference how you plan to beat it up, how you plan to conquer it, what you plan to do about it. Get you. Wraps its arms around. Doesn't make a difference how many resolves you make. Doesn't make a, door what, make a difference what door you walk out and what church you walk into. When you come in, it just seems there's that George Hall sin. And even while you're making your best resolutions, I'm not going to do this anymore. You can hear George's voice. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, yes, you are. Now, maybe I'm the only one who's ever had experience with sin like that, but I don't think so. And the Apostle Paul is telling us here, he says, I want you to learn how to win 
over sin. But you're not going to learn, he says, just by sitting around and knowing stuff. That's not the way to win, just knowing stuff. And you're not going to win just by sitting around and expecting God to act without your cooperation. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is this, on the basis of what Christ has done on the cross, I'm going to ask you to become a warrior against the sin in your life. And so in these 14 verses, we find a practical strategy which will bring success in your battle against the grip of sin in your life. Died to the penalty and the legal power or authority. How do you die to the practice of sin in your life? Let's stand together. Let me begin reading with verse 1. Now, I'll not preach all this tonight. We're just going to deal with the four elements to consider later on, the five enemies to crucify, the six errors to cast off, and the seven excellent virtues in which to clothe yourself. But let's look at the four elements to consider. If you then arisen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. We looked at this last week. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Mortify, put to the death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, you may have the word concupiscence, really passions, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God. Boy, that's, a, that's an unbelievable word here about God. The wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, the innermost being of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all these things, put on charity or love, which is the bond of completion, the bond of perfectness you may have there. Father, show us the very basic elements which ought to occupy our thoughts when we come to grip with these sins which so easily beset us. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I sure do want our times of worship together and at least the preaching time to be practical for you. I would hate to think that you would come to a worship service and go out just knowing some stuff. I mean, there's an abundance, isn't there, of knowledge. But I'd hate to think that you'd come and just go out knowing stuff. My desire is that when you go out, you'll go out having the capacity to practice what you have learned and really learning something. And so tonight, as we look at a chapter which has in it are these 14 verses, these four elements to consider, these five enemies to crucify, these six errors to cast off, and these seven excellent virtues, in which to clothe yourself, I want you to focus for just a few moments if you want to win over sin on these four elements to consider. When I use the word consider, 
I use it in the sense of meditating on them, ruminating on them, pondering them over and over again. When you think about your sin, which so easily besets you, whether it's uh, whether you feel like it's a shackle around your arms and legs or a yoke around your neck, but you have tried to cast it off, you've tried to break the yoke and you can't, you've made all kinds of resolutions, you can't win, you can't win, you're struggling with it, you know that the penalty of sin is paid for, the power of sin is abolished because you're going to go to heaven when you die. Why can't you conquer sin? Why can't you quit practicing sin? Well, you begin, the Apostle Paul says, by considering these four elements. So let's look at them. And you find these four elements in verses 1 through 4 and then again in verses 6 and 7. What are these four elements? You ought to set your mind on these. In fact, he says in verse 1, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God and set your affection. The word uh, uh, for affection, phroneo, we get our word phrenology from that. It really means your mind, your brain. Set your mind on these things, all right? So what are the four elements you should consider if you want to be a victory, victor, if you want to be a warrior against sin that overcomes you in the practice of your life? All right, first of all, you need to consider the position which you have established. Consider the position which you have established. Now, what is that position that you have established? Let's look at it here in verse 1 and then again in verse 3. If you then are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Look at verse 3. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. All right, what's the first thing you ought to consider? You're dealing with sin, the practice of sin in your life. It's perplexing you. Christ has paid the penalty. You're going to go to heaven when you die. Why are you sinning? Why can't you win over sin? All right, the first thing you need to do is to meditate on the position that you have established. Now, let me give you an example of a, of, of a position that is established. We're here in the United States. We're in a free nation. I realize we can argue, you know, what's happening to the government in our nation, the political uh, environment of our nation, but let's just, we're in a nation which for over 200 years now has experienced an unbelievable amount of freedom. Every other nation of the world is jealous, really, in spite of all of our problems with what we have here in the United States. Now, over the years, men have fought and died on foreign soil for this freedom. But I want to remind you that on our own soil, back in the 1700s, there were men who fought and died so that we could gain our freedom initially. And there was the Declaration of Independence. And there were these men, men of honor, men of faith, men of integrity, men who loved God, men who loved their country, men who loved the thoughts of freedom, men who had cherished their heritage and, and knew that in the heritage, the warp and woof of our nation, there was, this dire, there was this deep desire to express in this nation the fact that, that men have certain inalienable rights. And so they went to battle. Many of those men fell in battle. They died and of course, their blood shed on our soil is what ultimately purchased for us the privilege of living in a free nation. Now, a nation over the years has needed to be protected, but it was their 
giving their lives, giving their effort, giving their energies that purchased for us freedom. I was not there. That happened over 200 years ago. I was not there. But there is a sense in which I identify with what they did. I share in what they did. What they purchased with their death is what I enjoy here in America today. What they purchased with the giving of their life is what I appreciate. And I live in freedom because they purchased that freedom. I'm a free man. Not because I paid the price, but because they paid the price. Now, because they paid the price, I can identify with the price that they paid. So I say that as much as they were Americans, I am also an American. I didn't die on our soil in the battle against Britain, throwing off the yoke of bondage. I didn't die, but when they died, their death purchased for me my freedom, and I identify with their death. I identify with the giving of their life. All right, what are we talking about? We're saying that you can win over sin. These 14 verses in Colossians 3 tell us how to win over sin. The first thing we must do, and the, the only thing I'm dealing with in this message tonight, is that you must consider the position or the element, the position that you have established. We're considering the position that you have established. What is that position? That position is with Christ. Christ, you identify with Christ in his death, you identify with Christ in his resurrection. You didn't die for your sin, Jesus died for your sin. And when Jesus died, the penalty for your sin was paid for. When Jesus died on the cross, the yoke of oppression, the power, the dominion of sin was erased. Now I want to tell you something. After the Revolutionary War, there's an interesting thing that happened. The soldiers went home, back to England, those that were left alive. But you know what happened here in America? People still did things they learned about in England. They probably still had tea. If you ever been over there and had tea? They probably had tea. A lot of the things that we do in our own culture now are things that we adopted from the British culture. Now, listen, just because Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sins and you, by trusting in him, identify with his death on the cross and his resurrected life, it does not mean that there may be in your life some desire to continue the practices that you learned when you were under bondage. You see the picture? Now, one of the things you need to do is to consider the position that you're established. You're a free person. There was a time when they had to pay those taxes, but then there was a time after the Revolutionary War when they didn't have to pay taxes without representation, you see? And so the first thing that you do, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, do I have to serve sin? I remember my dad giving me this illustration. He said, how many of you all remember uh, uh, Gomer Pyle, you remember that guy, Gomer Pyle, Sergeant Carter, you all nodding your head, yeah, 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 you remember that. Okay, you remember, you know what, the Sergeant Carter, he always barked the orders, Gomer Pyle always said, yes, yes, you know, he was always doing what Sergeant Carter told him to do. All right, now he had to because Sergeant Carter was a sergeant and Gomer Pyle was the private, and privates do what sergeants say, right? Supposed to anyway. 
and they're legally bound to. They're under their authority. They have to. In fact, they, they get in severe trouble if they don't. Now, let's suppose they both muster out of the army together and for some stupid reason decide to go into business together. Pretty soon what happens? Well, pretty soon old Sergeant Carter just because they're just used to it, he just starts telling Gomer what to do and Gomer just starts doing it. Well, let's imagine one day Gomer goes out and sits under a tree and he says, wait a minute, however Gomer would say that. His nose sort of stuck up like that. You know, wait a minute. Yeah, wait a minute. I, I, don't, I don't have to do this. Now, when I was in the army, I had to do this. But I have a new position. He's not my boss anymore. I am not legally bound. I don't have to just jump when he says frog. I'm, I'm out of the army now. I'm going to tell you something. When you receive Christ, you identify with his death which set you free, paid the penalty. His life which assures you eternal life. You are set free from the authority of sin. You need to consider the position that you have established. You don't have to serve sin. You can't come before God and say, well, I'm only human. No, you're not. If you're a believer in Christ, Christ lives in you, and there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So number one, consider your position. As we, I said, there's four elements to consider. Number one, consider your position. All right, number two, not only is there the position you have established, there is the promise you can enjoy. First, you've established this position. Secondly, there is a promise you can enjoy. Where is that promise? Verse four, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. One of these days, Jesus is gonna come. He's gonna gather believers up to him and you're going to appear with him in glory. You're going to be there in heaven. We look at this in detail. The last time we were together studying this passage of Scripture, he's coming. You're going to spend your forever with God in heaven. How does that help me deal with sin? First of all, considering the position that I've established, um, that helps me by reminding me that I don't have to sin. Secondly, considering the promise I can enjoy, that helps me by reminding me where I'm going. You say, well, Brother Tom, what does where you're going have to do with your sinning now? Well, I'm going to tell you something. Let, let, me, let me give an illustration. I do a lot of pre-marriage counseling. I mean, I look out here, and there's about eight or ten couples out here that I've had the privilege of, of counseling with, at least that I see right now. And uh, I do an awful lot of that. And I want to tell you something. During that three and a half months or so that we're involved in this counseling before marriage, I see some of the most amazing things take place in these guys and gals who are getting ready to be married. I see guys that are a little bit heavy start getting a little thinner. And I see gals, you know, that, that you know, they, they start paying a little bit more attention to the way they're... Why? Because on that wedding day, ooh, we want to look the best we can be. I see guys who are a little bit sloppy about the way they dress start sort of fixing up. And I see gals, you know, who haven't... They hadn't paid much attention to the way they dress. They start... You know, when they come in with their, you know, their intended, I mean, they want to look the best. People that never wore perfume or aftershave start wearing. 
the most amazing thing. You can't believe what my office smells like when marriage counselees come in. Go out. It's just amazing. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. Why are they doing that? Well, where they are headed, that is to the marriage altar, is affecting their behavior. How does it affect? Positive. They're getting better. They're wanting to arrive there the best they can be. I mean, they want to be the best person they can be. Now, let me just tell you, the Bible says that the Lord Jesus is going to present us to himself as a pure and spotless bride. And if you live with awareness that Jesus is coming, he could come at any moment. You know something? I'm, I'll tell you more about this later, but I, I don't know how many. Josh Bullard handed me a copy of PC Week, and in P, which is a weekly computer hacks uh, 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 paper. Now, I read that day. I picked up the phone at 7.30 this morning called J.R. Church at Prophecy in the News. I said, I'm going to read you something that blow your mind. And I read to him about a meeting that was held in Virginia last month in which a representative from the U.S. Postal Service stood up and said, we are working with the Internal Revenue Service, the U.S. Postal Service, the National Health Care, all federal organizations, everything you can name, and it, it goes down the list, toward the development, get this, of a single card. said, so we were going to do this with many cards, but we decided to do it with a single card. It's a PCMCIA card. It will have everything on it, including your medical history. Now, you're saying, well, that's well in the future. Wait till you hear what I tell you. Everything will include your medical history. It will be tied to your bank account, to your Internal Revenue Service uh, that you have paid in, and everything about you, every federal agency, it is all tied to that. And he said... Our president is eager for this, and all it takes is the signing of two executive orders, which we believe will take place at any time, and we are ready to deliver over 100 million of those to Americans sooner than you can, you know, say whatever. And the article itself, the editor of the article itself said, talk about totalitarianism. This is more surveillance than either Orwell or our government ever even considered. As a matter of fact, they said that you, you take somebody out on Saturday, which is not a business day, you charge that, which you'll have to use this card to charge that. It's tied to your bank account, tied to the IRS. It says the IRS will disclaim it as a business deduction before you ever filed it as a business deduction. Think about that for just a moment. Now, you say, Brother Tom, why are you dropping that in on the message? You know, I just can't see how much longer. I mean, it may go a long time, folks. But it's just hard. It just looks like it's just, you know, we're, 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 we're just getting ready for the go up before the blow up. The rapture before the rupture, as they say. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. If you believe that, it's got to affect the way you behave today. Man, I don't want Jesus to come and find me guzzling one down or shooting one up or in bed with the wrong person or watching the wrong stuff or saying things I shouldn't say or living like I shouldn't live. If I really believe in that promise, I can enjoy the fact I'm going to be with him and in heaven uh, eternally. I mean, why do I need this mess on earth? And so he's saying here, if you really want to win over sin, there are four elements to consider. One, the position you have established. Two, there's a promise you can enjoy. One of these days, the Lord is coming in glory and you will appear with him in glory. All right, there's a third thing to consider. Consider the punishment you have escaped. Verse 6. He says, this kind of behavior that he outlines in verse 5, 
this kind of behavior, for which things sake the wrath of God, that word orge, an explosion. Actually, the word here refers to a, a kind of, of, of anger which always results in punishment. And so I'm saying consider the punishment. If you're a believer in Christ, consider the punishment you've escaped. The wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. And by the way, that word disobedience doesn't mean just people who do a few things wrong. It is a word from which we get our word apathy. It means people who are indifferent and resistant to God. He said there will be one day an explosion of punishment. Heaven and earth will pass away. The devil, all demons, and everybody who follows him, all the dead of all the ages, not the physically dead, but the spiritually dead, the wages of sin is death. Those who haven't received Christ will be cast into the lake of fire. There will be an explosion of punishment, and it's forever, to spend there forever in hell. Now, why in the world do you want to mess with the stuff that was sending you there? That's what he's saying. Consider the punishment that you've escaped. I mean, isn't it stupid? Somebody comes out and they, they've just conquered their drive for the first time. What do you say to that person? One drink won't hurt you. Oh, you say, man, don't mess with it. It could kill you. Somebody comes out, they finally got off drugs. Well, hey, look, look, just a little marijuana. That can't, you said, man, don't touch the stuff because it will set in motion a spiral of activities which will just bring you back into bondage, practicing the old stuff. So he's saying, as you want to conquer the sin, when you want to win over sin, there are these four elements you must consider. That's one of four things we're looking at. The four elements you must consider. One is the position you have established. Two, the promise you can enjoy. Three, the punishment you have escaped. By the way, you didn't escape with yards to spare. Nobody here escaped except by the skin of your teeth. Nobody went strutting into heaven and say, Whew. I tell you what, when you get to heaven, everybody here is going to say, Whew, that was close. Because the only way you will have made it will be by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you all just thank God and say, look, I see sin as the murder weapon of Christ why in the world do I want to dabble with sin? All right? All right, number four. Four elements to consider, five enemies to crucify, six errors to cast off, seven excellent virtues in which to clothe yourself. What are the four elements to consider? All right, the position you've established, the promise you can enjoy, the punishments you've escaped. Number four, the practices you can eliminate. The practices you can eliminate. Look at verse 7. In the which time you also walk. He said, you know something? This word walk, we get our word peripatetic from it. It means you all you used to live in them. You just walked around in this sin. He used to live like this. What? Well, verse 5, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, passion, covetousness, which is idolatry. So you used to live this way. But he said... Uh, you don't anymore. One time your very life was a living death in sin, but you've been set free. And you can eliminate these practices. Don't live in them now. 
Don't live in them now. You say, well, Brother Tom, I don't want to live in them now. And you were right when you said the first of this message. You were right when you said there's a bully sin in most people's life that seems to get them constantly, no matter how many resolutions, how many books they read, how many tapes they listen to, how many times they tell God they'll never do it. They're sitting here in church right now wondering why it is that when Christ has paid the penalty, set us free from the power, they've still got the practice of sin in their life. Give me some practical help. This whole passage is practical help, and it begins, the strategy begins with these four elements to consider. So what I'd like for you to do before you go home tonight, or even as you pillow your head tonight, perhaps, I'd like for you to take that bully sin, you just put it out there in front of you, and alongside that, think for a few moments about the position you have established. Look at that sin in the light of the position you've established. Now think about that sin for just a few moments in the light of the promise that you can enjoy. Spend a few moments just looking at that sin in the light of the punishment that you've escaped. And finally, look at that sin in the light of the fact that this is a practice that you can eliminate. These four elements to consider, that's the first step in winning over sin. But I want to tell you something, folks. It's a big step forward if you'll just do it. If you'll just do it. Father, we come before you right now in prayer, trusting that in these few moments that we have here this evening, that you have used your word not only to bring enlightenment and encouragement to us, but to send us out of here with practical help, something we can do about sin in our life. We thank you that when Jesus came to this earth, died on the cross and shed his blood for our sins and rose from the grave that he bought for us cleansing, forgiveness, eternal and abundant life. And I pray tonight in this service there are people who would receive salvation, receive deliverance from sin. They would come to this altar and find a counselor and say, I want to trust Jesus tonight. And I pray it in Jesus' wonderful, matchless name. Would you look up this way for just a moment? In a moment or so, I'm going to ask you to stand. In a moment or so, we're going to begin singing with the, with the praise singers, all to Jesus I surrender. I, all to him I freely give. I surrender all. Now, this is an invitation hymn. And we're inviting to this altar, first of all, those of you who want to come tonight and say, my heart's desire is to receive Christ, to identify with what Christ did. Just like a person says, I want to be an American, I'm saying I want to be a Christian. I want to identify with what those guys bought with their death back 200 years ago. I want to identify with what Jesus bought on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. I want to identify with that. I want to receive him as my Savior tonight. And you come tell a counselor this. Let me tell you something. He's the only way. You're not going to find another way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so this is your invitation to come and say, that's what I want. I want to trust Jesus as my Savior tonight. I believe there are people here who want to say, look, tonight... What we'd like to do, what I'd like to do is join this church. Maybe you've visited, maybe you've never visited till tonight. But God's spoken to your heart and you want to come be a part of this church family, I would urge you to make that decision tonight. Just make your way down here to the altar, find a counselor and say, look, we want to join. I want to join this church. Others of you perhaps know what the bully sin is in your life and you want to come to the altar and just pray. Dear God, deal with that. Show me how important it is to consider these four elements as the first step to winning over sin. Dear God, I see my sin in the light of those four things. 
Will you come to this altar and pray and pray for others? Perhaps you need to identify the fact that you're a believer in Christ by believer's baptism. I'd urge you to make that decision tonight. What a wonderful time to do that. Come and say, look, sometime soon, I want to openly confess my faith in Christ through the symbol of baptism. This is your invitation. God's calling you, speaking to your heart. I urge you to come. Now let's stand together. Brother Don, would you begin leading us as we sing? You just slip out. People are already coming to this altar. You just slip out wherever you are, whoever you are. Make your way to this altar. People are coming. You find a counselor right here. God bless you as you come.